1: What's
2: up, everybody? Welcome to the third installment of the Big East Barroom off season edition. Happy May 1st to all those who celebrate, which means it's another month closer to college basketball. College basketball. And I'm just right. excited I was finally able to get some sleep. Um
1: sleep in May. So how you doing, Tech?
2: Oh, you know, another day, another dollar may mean something different for teachers than it does for a lot of the population because we are. On our last full month of school, so happy to be almost done. Yeah, we hate you for that.
1: Yeah, I speak for the listeners who are not uh, teachers.
2: To be clear, Ryan last year had the summer off and texted me and Snapchatted me a beer while I was working summer school with hashtag summers off repeatedly. Yeah, and you hated me for that. And Ryan, one of the crazy <laughs> things is that we can actually afford to pay our guests with the public school teaching salary I made.
1: We don't pay anybody anything. This is all... Um... <laughs> Just
2: the kindness of strangers, to be honest with you. Never underestimate the kindness of strangers. And that's enough attention for that clown. Anyway, so Big East basketball, we had some transfers. We had no coaching changes, thank goodness, because I don't think we could tolerate that. And at the end of this episode, we actually recorded before this episode. So if you we get the uh, terminology a little wrong, um, I apologize. But we have an absolute legend of college basketball um, coming on, so
1: like Dick Weiss will be out at the end oh um, well,
2: you know and we had a
1: blast talking to him so definitely stick around uh to the end of this episode to listen to our uh interview with him and I mean he's just a, a walking like dictionary of college basketball dictionary might not be the right word but you know he knows everything and everything that ever happened
2: yeah he might I mean his memory was you know, insane, Um, his ability to recall things and years that things happened, um, really impressive. But his, you know, one of the things is sometimes with these older, you know, sports writers, they, you know, talk, they know a lot about the glory years and whatever, but Dick Weiss was full of knowledge about current college basketball and everything that went with it. Yeah, calling out David Joplin as his pick for breakout player, so. Yeah, and did he touch on what, like eight of the 11 teams we talked about? So everybody should stay tuned for that. Yeah, he he can talk about anybody. Um, he's he's the best. All
1: right, so we're gonna put two minutes on the clock. We're gonna go through all eleven teams. We're gonna run through them, um, and just talk about where they are. You know, any recent news and and what our thoughts are on that team.
2: All right, right, right. We're deciding teams. We're gonna yell out a transfer and see if the other person. I mean, we know who you know. Everyone who's transferred in.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're gonna call, We're just gonna call out our, the most interesting transfers. Um, that we're excited to see next year, and then talk about how their
2: offseason shapes so up. So, I'm going to start and give me Stephen Ashworth, who is transferring to the Creighton Blue Jays to replace Ryan Emhardt. We got two minutes on the clock. Um, Creighton has had some
1: big news over the last couple of
2: weeks. Yeah, three players declared for the NBA draft: Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, and Ryan Um, All three of them maintain their college eligibility with the opportunity to come back if they decided to right you think all three are coming back you think one's coming back what do you i know you don't want to speculate individually but go ahead well
1: if right (laughs) i know you don't want to but do it um if we were to rank most likely to come back to least likely to come back i don't think this is a hot take i think most likely to come back is ryan cockburner trey is right in the middle and arthur Kluma is least likely to come back that that does not say that that they all come back that doesn't say none of them come back um I'm not making that prediction. I'm just – that's how they're currently ranked.
2: It's the offseason, Ryan. Let's make predictions. Trey Alexander's coming back. Ryan Kalkbrenner's coming back. Arthur Kluma's not is my prediction. Kind of what you just said.
1: Yeah, Arthur Kluma probably catches on as a two-way player, G League guy. And then you'll have an opportunity to play his way into the league. You know, look at Julian Champagne, Um, You know, hell, look at, you know, guys like Tom Gillespie um, haven't got to play yet, but they've found a home
2: it seems like. But Creighton can survive a little bit of transfer, or not transfer, NBA, um, you know, defectiveness, defect. What do you call it when people defect?
0: (laughs) Uh,
2: They can handle a little bit because they bring, you know, Trout is going to want to start, you know, to start. And Ashworth is going to want to start. So if you have Trout and Ashworth starting and you have Kalkbrenner, and you know Shireman's coming back. Now you have, you know, you might have six players for five spots if all three came back a good problem to have not saying it's not you line up ashworth alexander and shireman you might have three of the top 10 shooters in the entire conference right there creighton's in a really good position if at least two of the three of those guys come back um although i think we both are in agreement you know it would be great for creighton to get three players in the nba that's a that's a you know seismic change in program um the way people look at your program
1: yeah absolutely no i'm you, we're always rooting for the kids. If they want to go play in the NBA, we're going to root for them like crazy. All right, I'm going to pick for, for an interesting transfer, my first pick. I'm going Hakeem Hart, who has uh, committed to the Villanova Wildcats over the last couple of weeks. He's joining TJ Bamba as their incoming transfer class. And there's one more big name that's still out at the time of recording,
2: Ty. Hunter Dickinson, who has visited Villanova's campus twice. <laughs> I feel like I'm salty today because of just random people. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on Dickinson? Do you got a beat on it? Dickinson, I mean, listen, this is all conjecture. I want to be clear about this. Nobody has inside information because Hunter Dickinson has played this incredibly well. The crystal ball changed today to Villanova. Uh, not the crystal ball, but uh, the percentages changed. So Villanova's in the lead. I always find it interesting who the recruit decides to use as their last visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, he also used Villanova. Maybe Kentucky's in there. We can't even confirm that happened. Um, Dick Weiss, you'll hear later, said Syracuse got on with a Zoom, um, but it looks like Dickens, or Villanova was the last high-profiled one. Listen, they we know for a fact they want to move Eric Dixon to the four. They want a five, and if Hunter Dickinson wants to come there, they're going to open, welcome him with open arms.
1: And listen, you line up Justin Moore, Hakeem Hart, T.J. Bamba, Eric Dickinson, Eric Dixon, Hunter Dickinson, and we're going to make that mistake all year if they play together. Um, That is a Final Four lineup right there.
2: Yeah, and you know, I hate to speculate, but I mean, again, this is the offseason on what kids would want to do. I just, you know, you see what has happened in some different places where one guy transfers in and a guy transfers out. Mark Armstrong should not be the guy left out if that is a possibility. Mark Armstrong is a starting caliber point guard for the Big East. Um, he could be a he could have been a four year starter from when I saw last year. Um, so I really hope that you know he f- has a spot, even if they decide to go with a five, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, I
1: agree with you, but I will throw in one caveat: Villanova is not like other programs. You know, you what Brandon Slater came off the bench for two years before starting for his last three uh villanova has always been about waiting for your turn so i don't know if that's what armstrong wants to do he could go somewhere and start tomorrow but villanova has a good i mean look at jalen brunson look at josh hart look at uh dante Divincenzo.
2: villanova's got a good track record absolutely right i'm gonna throw out my favorite transfer um this year not the most inter- well maybe i mean i don't want to say he's not interesting but um, my favorite transfer comes from my favorite team, even though I will not get to see him play for UConn next year. Naeem Alin is transferring to St. John's, and St. John's also just landed another transfer as we were coming on today. Uh, Oregon State transfer Glenn Taylor Jr., who averaged 11.5 points a game last year in the Pac-12. Right, <laughs> they're building a roster. Do you know what position Taylor plays? They have him listed as forward. I'm not sure, Smaller power. He's 6'6", so I'm guessing small.
1: Yeah, probably like the three. And then you got Slizinski, who's going to play the four. He came over from Iona. I love Jenkins at the one. You have Soriano at the five. You
2: you are. You're starting to uh, come together here. And, I mean, Aline Aline probably wants to start at the two. Um, But Zachary Braziller, I'm going to say it wrong, um, has already said that, you know, this guy, uh, Glenn Taylor, is going to start next year. Um, But, Ryan, they're also heavily rumored to be involved with McKenzie, uh, I will say his name wrong if I try to say it. The five-star recruit who left Duke, um, St. John's has gotten a meeting. St. John's is in the room, and that's what Rick Patino does for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Rick Pitino is clearly working his butt off. And he's in all these conversations. He hasn't landed some of these guys he wanted. Um, you know, I haven't had the chance to do my homework on Taylor yet because he just uh, committed. But, you know, he's making progress. And we'll see if he's able to land McKenzie. Uh, again, I we'll figure out his name if he comes
2: to the Big East. Don't worry. Mbaku? Um, yeah. I feel like that's wrong. I feel like that's wrong.
1: I, I'll tell you, I saw some Suzinski at Louisville two years ago when he was a freshman. Very promising player. A uh, Little stretch four, could shoot the ball, uh, played hard. I really liked what I saw from him, and he's already had one year under Patino at Iona, so – He's a P6 caliber player. I know he's coming from the Mac, but he was recruited to Louisville originally.
2: I'm interested how these kids um, adapt coming from Iona. Um, I think that's going to be the make or break. And, you know, in some ways, Providence is in that same boat, just in a lot better shape because of it. But when you have a bunch of players transferring from a school, you're going to find out quickly if how good Iona was really last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. All right. We're going to put two minutes on the clock. Oh, I want to talk about a fellow that we're already familiar with. Butler Lance Posh Alexander. Um, just was announced the other day. Posh Alexander, who had left open the opportunity to go home to St. John's has decided he will be joining Thad Matta in Indianapolis. And all of a sudden Matta has a pretty deep backcourt that he's assembled this
2: offseason, huh? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't want to. I want people to listen to our interview, so I don't want to give too much away. But Dick Weiss talked a lot about Posh Alexander. Um, you know, and he said, I wish Patino gave him a longer look. Basically, Posh Alexander is the type of guy, listen, basketball wise, I'm not sure I see the fit perfectly, right? Butler's trying to improve their three point shooting. Um, I'll tell you what, you bring in Posh Alexander, your team has an identity right away. Day one, they have an identity. You're going to get after it defensively. You are going to be working harder than anyone else defensively. And, you know, I was really impressed what Posh was willing to do for his team last year, especially with Curbello, um and his ability to come off the bench at certain times. So you you really just gained, a you didn't just gain a player, you gained a leader. And I think that's kind of where I'd like to take that spin.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll say, I ran into Posh outside of Madison Square Garden, right after they had lost against Marquette in the Big East Tournament, which essentially ended their um, season. They knew they weren't going to the NCAA Tournament. And he immediately was like, we're going to be back. We're going to be better than ever. You guys are going to see. I mean, he's just like, I was really impressed with that attitude. He wasn't down. And and he took the time to talk to a stranger and just tell me, you know, how, um, you know, we're going to be great again and everything. So I think that as a home run for that matter. I think that is just – that's the best get for him this offseason, and it makes everybody else look a lot better when
2: they're going to play with him. Yeah. Um Lacocious officially committed to Cincinnati. I know that's a name that everyone is hoping to come back, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I just think Posh changes a lot of things, and we got to look at it not only from a basketball perspective. They also landed DJ Davis out of uh, UC Irvine, who was a heck of a shooter
1: last year. Uh, another guard, not sure how they, you know, they, they right now they might have an embarrassment of riches in the guard position. They got about four or five um, starting guard quality players. So we'll see how Matt and na- that uh, navigates that. Excellent.
2: Right. The transfer I want to talk to next is because this is when one of the best biggies Twitter, um, when they talk each other up, our friends at Road to the garden got one of their first guests on Matt St. Jean wasn't the guest interviewed. <laughs> Ticket gains at Providence, and I love them over there. And it's Matt St. Jean's birthday, which is huge. Did you text him? Of course I texted Matty. You didn't text Matt St. Jean, did you? I'm well after this. Matt St. Jean,
1: And they do great work over to, at Road to the Garden. You should definitely check out that interview with Ticket Gaines. Um, he did some cool video stuff and had Ticket walking through the play. That was
2: pretty cool. So we're going to be talking about the Providence Friars for this Segment Who I mean, honestly, they've had a pretty quiet few weeks. Um, they did a lot of their portaling, um, heavy lifting at the beginning. They kept Garway dual, um, which was important for them, but they're bringing back the nucleus of that team pretty much Sans, Ed Croswell, and Noah Locke.
1: Yeah, so it turns out the only losses that they have are Drew Fielder, who was a four star commit to Providence, goes to Georgetown, follows a played to- a game, though. Right? Uh, Jared Bynum goes to Stanford, but I'm not sure.
2: I think Providence might have wanted to move on from him anyway. Um, They wanted to give the keys to Jaden Pierre, I think, is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. no, Jared Bynum is
1: a Providence legend for what he did in that Sweet 16 regular season championship year. Um, But I I just don't know. Well, I'll leave it at that. Um, So, you know, it's been a pretty successful
2: offseason by any metric, in, in my opinion, for Providence. Yeah, I me. Mean, you, when you bring back Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter, one of the things, and maybe this is just you know what I've happened to see, it seems like Devin Carter is really emerging, um, at least social media wise, at least in all the videos I see, as the leader of this team, the vocal leader, um, which is fantastic. The guy's got a pro career background, um, you know he is a he's gonna get bring his lunch pail to work every day defensively. And, you know, Bryce Hopkins might be the most talented player on that team, but everything we've seen from Bryce shows that he's kind of a quieter player. And if Devin Carter can kind of take on that face of the franchise and voice of the franchise, I think that really behooves the Providence team. I
1: agree 100% with what you said. I just want to add, with his NBA background, if he's bought in fully to this team, other people are buying in because he knows what it takes to get to the NBA. So if he's saying, you know, I think this can get me to the NBA. Everybody else who's who's playing with them should be saying the same thing, you know? Absolutely. Providence, Friars. All right. So my next pick for, for a, a transfer I want to talk about is uh, the Windy City landed another one. Mr. Chico Carter, coming from uh, South Carolina, has just declared that he's going to go to DePaul. It's their third landed transfer of the year. But kind of um, some good news, bad news because they lose one of their four-star recruits, Babakar Mabengue, uh, out of the NBA Academy Africa, um, has decided that he is uh, he he has asked for release from his letter of intent to DePaul.
2: Right, is that the same guy that they? Do they have two players from the NBA Academy in Africa? Yes, they do have two players. So that's okay. They kept one, and they lost one.
1: Yes, we haven't heard anything from the other one, so I, I don't know if uh, if there's been any update.
2: Yeah, Chico Carter comes from South Carolina. I mean, he's going to be. It would be foolish to think that he's going to come in and be a Moja Gibson, um, but you know they have the point guard depth. If they're going to play Zion at the one, Zion Cruz or um, what's his name? Right, kid who was hurt last year from South Florida transfer. Um, he's- Caleb Murphy. They have the guards back there. So if Chico Carter's coming to back up or if he's coming to be the starter, I mean, that could be fantastic. You bring back to Sean Nelson, you know, listen, I don't know with DePaul. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those things where how good is your good? Like is DePaul's best right now? Even, you know, can we get out of the 10th spot in the big East? I don't know. And I don't want to, you know, it's a land of eternal optimism right now because we're the season hasn't started and anything's possible, but I mean, I can see what Stubblefield's building. Is it better than the last two years, though? And I, I can't say that's true.
1: That's what I'm where I am as well. They had talent last year, and they couldn't put it together. Now he's got a bunch of talent again this year. Is there any reason to believe he can, he could can put it together? There's just no culture. There's no holdover. So we're rooting for Stubbs um, as always, but you know, healthy
2: skepticism at this point. Yeah, Javon Johnson and Amos Gibson really showed out at that pit tournament, though. So um, good for them. (laughs) I'll expect at least
1: Gibson to be at the G League. Cobb mine uh, hasn't been announced yet. All of the players,
2: but I'm thinking he'll be on that list. Hope so. Because that kid is a bucket. Yeah. A lot of fun to watch. All right. Right. My next transfer to talk about is what I think he's almost being overlooked. I would have said he was a top. I think he might've been the top transfer at the time he did it. Mr. Jaden Epps, who is transferring to Georgetown. And Georgetown has been quiet, too quiet. Yeah,
1: dead quiet. Um, You know, I know there were some pictures of Cooley was at the Nike um, AAU tournament down in Georgia this past weekend. He's getting some recruit uh, scouts and looking at a lot of 2024 kids. Um, 2023 kids are pretty much done playing AAU at this point. So. He's looking at the, the following year, but not much in the transfer portal except for Hunter Dickinson. And it's looking like Georgetown's out on that.
2: Uh, I don't know if they're out. You think they're out? I don't I mean, I don't want to get it wrong. Well, no, I've just, uh, Kansas landed another, let's talk a little Hunter Dickinson. Cause that's the big thing in Georgetown land. Um, and we did it a little for Villanova Kansas just landed the um, kid from Texas who plays the same position. Um, it would be doubtful that the kid would transfer from Texas to come to Kansas and not start. Mm. So you're down to Kentucky, Villanova, and Georgetown, and Maryland. Maryland, well, everything I've seen is that Maryland was losing steam. We've already talked that in length about Villanova. The Kentucky thing will come down to Toshiba way. Um, Hunter Dickinson addressed that. I don't know if you saw that interview. He addressed it and said, I can't tell you what we said, but we talked about it, and it must have been good enough reason for me to take a meeting there. So – He's at least very. I know it's a big nothing quote, but he's at least very aware of the Oscar way in the room um, of what's going on. I'm so, glad
1: Victor Dickinson talks in riddles now.
2: Yeah, he said I did. You know, he basically was saying that I took the meeting. So there you go. There's clearly we know what's going on. I don't think. I think Georgetown is 100 percent waiting until Dickinson makes a decision to decide how much money they have left to throw it at other prospects potentially but until hunter dickinson makes up his mind i don't think anything's moving
1: if we're talking georgetown i want to hear from a cook a cook and uh bristol Matumbo. i'm assuming it's not going anywhere just because he's had a hard time staying on the floor his first couple of years um but a cook of cook was a starter last year and when everybody left he didn't leave with them so that's something i'd like to hear from. Uh, from also primo spears committed
2: yes primo spears committed to florida state Florida state which what do you do with that ryan and
1: not as good as he was hoping for but we will be rooting for primo spears always because he's just a blast to watch my next most interesting transfer i want to talk about is mr davion mcknight he's going over the xavier musketeers and i've been catching up on some tape of mr davion mcknight i am working on an article for road to the garden um which is uh, like a transfer profile with his clips and kind of talking about, you know, what he did well at Western Kentucky and what he's bringing to the table. And what I've found is he is a tough, physical, strong point guard um, with with pretty good defensive motor. I'm uh, Pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're doing a lot of the research on Davian McKnight. I have sat out of the Davian McKnight game, unfortunately. I um, like What? Not I sat out of it. Why would you do it? Uh, I don't I don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, We got big news this week, Xavier News.
1: What was the big news this week?
2: Zach Fremantle is coming back for his fifth year. That's right. And that was not – and he did it in a really cool way. I talked to Tommy about this when I was on that podcast. Um, Did you see the way he did it?
1: Yeah, through the, through the managers.
2: Yeah, it was nice. You know, those kids do a lot for the team and everything, and he basically let the Xavier – managers announce his return to uh you know Xavier this year. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty excited. I think Xavier has a really good chance to be a top half of the league team.
1: Yeah, I think he was before he got injured, he was um second team all the geese, Zach Fremantle. He was playing probably the best basketball of his career. Uh so if you know Xavier's going to have a lot of new faces, that's one familiar face. If he plays the same level as he was playing before he got injured, I think that I mean, that's, you know, that moves Xavier up an entire tier in terms of where their ceiling is.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I want to see this Quincy Oliveri can play too. Um, I, I, and listen, I think the most underrated player, and this is going to be now that I'm formulating some big takes here, Desmond Claude is going to be really freaking good next year. Like he is going to be one of the top point guards in the country. that's my prediction I agree with that take 100% what he showed at the end of the year last year for Xavier God he didn't look like a freshman at all and he learned behind Sule Boom for offense and he's literally almost the same size as Colby Jones for defense like you're talking about I mean two of the best players to learn from on a team that was probably the best team to learn from that was experienced and he's playing for uh, Sean Miller who was an all-time point guard at Pitt I mean it Desmond Claude, NBA talent. I'm saying it now. Desmond Claude, and it might be only one more year. I'm looking for a Jordan Hawkins-type leap from Desmond Claude. Yeah. Not I the same player, but the same leap. All right. We got Seton Hall, UConn. One more left? Yeah, let's crank out the UConn because they don't have a transfer, and we already talked about it. Um, in the past two weeks, I believe Tristan Newton and Andre Jackson have declared for the NBA draft while maintaining their college eligibility. I oh, don't know. We can read into that all we want. I think it's I I think both of them are much more 50-50 than the Creighton guys. Um, I think the Creighton guys have two guys that are on the right side of 50 and one guy who's on the wrong side of 50. I think you know, Jackson will get taken. If Jackson keeps his name in the NBA draft, he will be probably a either late first or early second round pick. Um, I think the much more interesting situation is Tristan Newton. He's already gotten his degree. Um, he seems very concerned with classes still because he missed the Mets opening day first pitch today because he had a class to take. Um, does that mean he's done? He wants to get another degree or does that mean he loves college basketball? Find out in 20.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, Andre Jackson, we already know, has been invited to the NBA combine um, in terms of Big East players who went to the NBA combine last year. I think Baylor Shireman is the only one that came back um, pretty much. Most of them, once they got in front of the NBA Combine, left. Amina Muhammad left. Kong Gillespie left. Um, Gillespie didn't have a choice. Oh, that's true. Justin Lewis, who didn't even play in the Combine, sat it out, but he attended it, left. Um, So, you know, something to watch for Andre Jackson. And I agree with you. Once he gets in front of the scouts and
2: they see in person him jump over the backboard, how do you say no to that talent? Uh, and not really UConn news, but UConn news still. Adam Sonogo is also invited to the NBA Combine, which is fantastic as a second round pick. That's not guaranteed always. Um, man, I I'm just hoping on the you know, I listen for a personal reason, but I hope that kid lands somewhere and that a fan base falls in love with that guy because he is one of the greatest people on top of being one of the greater players in UConn history.
1: Yeah, and if you don't follow, if you're haven't been following this stuff. Um, Dan Hurley essentially confirmed that Adama <laughs> will not be returning to college basketball next year And that his future is in the pros So we are rooting like crazy for him
2: Yep, and even Hurley was on Twitter yesterday Because Looney had a really big game for Golden State And he said, you know, someone said something like Looney really helps the team He said, Adama will really help your team on Twitter So, I mean, he is all over this He is trying his best And there should be a place in the league for Adama I
1: agree All right, let's move over to Seton Hall, who landed their first two transfers over the last couple weeks. Dylan Adaiwusu from St. John's stays in the Big East,
2: and they just landed Elijah Hutchins Everett. Did I get that right? Elijah Hutchins Everett is correct. Hyphen in last name.
1: Who is coming over from?
2: Do you have that in front of you? Um, I don't have that one in front of me, but I will while you're – What about about Adaiwusu? I'll pull it up. I listen, I know that people don't like it. I love inner transfers. Wanna know what makes the biggies great is because these kids become household names. I think we talked about that um and one of our podcasts that the longer these kids stay, the more juice there is. People wanna, you know, rivalries and stuff like this. And maybe Dylan Adeawusu doesn't get your juices flowing the same way, you know, as uh Hunter Dickinson might. But you're going to go into a game when you see Dylan Adewusso and go, well, that's one tough mf who's going to be able to shoot a little bit and play defense. Like You're going in with knowing this player rather than every play being a surprise when there's new guys on the floor.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, surprising at all that
2: that's was Holloway's target? I thought Posh was much more a Seton Hall guy, a guy who plays incredible defense. Um, I don't know. Shaheen – I, I was under the impression that Alamir Dawes is going to leave. I thought that was what was going to happen. Everything I've heard is that Kadari Richmond, Alamir Dawes are going to be back next year. Maybe they think they can play Dylan Adeawusu at the three, and they didn't think they could, They could. obviously couldn't play Posh, Kadari and um, Amir Dawes. Yeah, listen,
1: Adeawusu is going to have to guard
2: if he wants to get on the floor for Holloway. He wasn't the
1: best defensive player at St. John's, um, but – but he, that's what he'll need to do now. He's on Holloway's team. But you want to – how about what he
2: did down the stretch in the Big East tournament against Marquette? Do you remember that? Dylan Adewusu was one of um, – to kind of spite people, became one of my favorite players. Um, yeah, I'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Dre Davis's twin brother, Tay, also entering the transfer portal like an hour after Dylan Adewusu committed. Yeah, um, potential
1: um, sophomore leap candidate. He was. He had a lot of potential.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at what Dre is. You, I'm a big proponent of when you have an identical twin, and your identical twin's really good. You can, you can also just be that good. Keegan Murray, Chris Murray, <laughs> uh, Elijah Hutchins. Everett is from Austin P. in the oh- uh, Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with his game, okay, we'll you catch know. up with
1: him. Uh, and that just leaves your Big East regular season champions, your Big East tournament champions the Marquette golden Eagles who are having the
2: quietest off season of anybody of any team in the con- conference. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it when you were, we were going through it and sometimes we don't always have a checklist next to it. And I was like, who the hell are we forgetting? And yeah, they um did get a four-star forward Royce Parham committed to Marquette over the, um, you know, over the last week or so, but you know, that's a big recruit, I guess. Um He's 85th in the country. So but them a 2024 but, recruit, correct? Yes. twenty. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. 2024 recruit. Um, but he had offers. You know, I always like to look at who they have offers from because I don't really care about the ranking. And high teams, listen, Penn State, Pitt, Xavier, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Virginia Tech. I mean, those are all high-level P6 programs. This kid is going to – you know, you can expect at least next year to him to come in um, and do that. I don't have a whole lot else to talk about, Marquette. Um, I know that Oma also did not put his name in the NBA combine, which we thought he might. And Kolek did not put his name in the NBA combine, which we thought he might. Um, and it just is Omax, correct?
1: Yes, that is correct. No surprises there. Um, just Olivia Max's prosper, which has to be a good sign. And you would think the Marquette kids would already be in the portal if that was their plan. So, uh, it looks like
2: they're running back a very similar team to who won a double championship last year. And and Dick Weiss talks about this later. I mean, if you even if you leave lose Omax, which we hope happens as Big East fans, because we want Omax to get drafted. I can't stress that enough. The more players that get drafted in the Big East, the better. And the more players from different teams that get drafted, the better. Like it's one thing when you go back and you look at twenty five Villanova players in a row, you could say the conference is top heavy. But if a Marquette kid gets drafted, it's a little different. That's just my soapbox. Quickly. But if David Joplin could come in and just insert it at the four right there, where Omax is playing like he can just insert right there. You probably got a a little bit of a better shooter, worse defender. Um so I mean I'm excited. Marquette's gonna run back a really, really fun team with a lot of cohesion.
1: Yeah, they got a dangerous team. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
2: All right we-, right. we ran through eleven teams. Uh any big picture stuff? Anything else before we kick it to our buddy Dick? I think we should kick it to Dick. All right, Biggie's Ballroom fans, we are lucky enough to be joined by a real legend today, the Kurt Gowdy recipient award from the Basketball Hall of Fame, a member of the Sports Writers Hall of Fame, been covering college basketball, but Biggie's part one, Biggie's part two, Biggie's part three. We are lucky to be joined by Dick Weiss. Dick Weiss, how are you today, sir? I'm good, Tyler. How you doing? Well, we're so happy to
0: have you on. and uh, My pleasure, guys. You're living in you're living in Yukon country, so everybody's celebrating up there. It's a good time to be
2: uh in Connecticut after that championship.
0: It is. Just don't just don't say the same thing to Gino. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dick, how's the uh,
1: how's the offseason been treating you? Good?
0: You know, it's not bad. Uh it's gotten a little dried up. Most of the players in the portal I've actually signed. Uh, we're down to less than 20 the top 100 kids obviously everyone seems to be waiting on Hunter Dickinson and he certainly is keeping his uh, uh, decision making process to himself he's done a pretty good job that way I know he's visited uh, don't know I know that uh, Syracuse had a zoom call with him as far as eastern schools are concerned but uh you know, he's in with a, a bunch of bit heavy hitters. I mean, it's not just Maryland and Georgetown with the local schools, Uh, but when Kentucky and Kansas get involved, you know, there's money involved.
2: Absolutely. Dick, can you speak to like college basketball offseason? seemed to be a few years ago, kind of, you know, it was quiet. It's anything, but what do you think about the Chancellor Portal
0: and some of those? You know, I don't challenges? like it. I have to tell you. I know it's a it's a way to rebuild a roster in less than a year. Kansas State actually had ten transfers last year, and they got to a final eight. Uh, but my theory is there's just too many people in the transfer portal, and there's a lot of people who are never going to get a phone call. Twenty three hundred kids is a lot of kids if you look at Division one and Division two. Frankly, my theory is that anytime. College athletics is a voluntary activity. Anybody who signs a a national letter of intent, there should be a clause in there for a one-year non-compete. No excuses, no waivers. It would cut the transfer portal down to 200 overnight. Because right now, coach gets mad at a kid, he's headed for the door. Kid doesn't get enough playing time, he's headed for the door. Kid doesn't get enough shots or doesn't become a first option quickly. He's out of the door. These kids all think of college basketball as a stepping stone for the NBA and forget that it's a team game. And it's, it's it shouldn't be lost on people that most teams that win national championship are filled with upperclassmen, not necessarily young players. I mean, the last team who won a national championship with an overload of freshmen was Duke. And that was a, uh, 2015, And they didn't win again under Shesky and frankly, Kentucky, who basically invented the idea, hasn't won since 2012. So it's a different world out there. I mean, and I think what what is impressive to me is if you take a look at the Big East, which I think was the most undervalued conference Mm -hmm. in the country didn't have a lot of kids who played in the McDonald's All-American team. In fact, there was no one on the UConn team that won the national championship and could have three or four players playing the NBA that played in the McDonald's All-American game. So it's just totally different now. And I think we're finding out that teams that find the ability to keep their players three or four years like Jay or Shaka Smart or in this case, Danny, are having huge success in postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you were a coach, um, how would you
1: how would you uh, come to the transfer portal? What would your theory be on it? If you need, I, to- I, I'd,
0: I'd see how much money I had in the bank. <laughs> 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 I mean, most of these teams are paying these kids six figures. I mean, I would say in order to get a good player once he's in school and maintain a relationship, you probably need to pay him, at least $200,000 and probably more money than he would make as a low second round draft pick. Take a look at the draft uh, this year. I mean, take a look at the amount of bigs who came back to play a fourth and fifth year of college basketball with COVID this year. It's pretty unbelievable. And frankly, the the players like that are actually making more money with an NIL than they would be making if they were a 50 50 player in the G league, I mean, Oscar Toshigwe was the national player of the year, two years ago, he's not even on an, an NBA draft scout radar. They have him listed as the 80th best prospect in the draft. And that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, 20 years ago, uh, Zach Eady might have been the first-round pick in the draft. Now he might go 45 if he stays in, or he can always go back to uh, uh, Purdue, provided he gets NIL money from the uh, country of Canada because internationals don't have that option for the most part.
2: Now, Dick, not to pivot away from the transfer portal, but there's so many positive things happening. We're so lucky to be now covering the Big East. Ryan gave me a little snapshot into what you guys talked about on the phone. He gave me a rumor that you were saying the Big East nowadays rivals the old Big East. Can you talk about that?
0: Well, I mean, in terms of success in the postseason, I mean, this year you had five teams that had a chance to go second weekend in, in the tournament. Now, the one team that surprised me is Marquette. I thought they were playing beautiful basketball at the end of the year. They got a win over Connecticut. They won the championship Relatively easy over over Creighton. I thought they would make a deep run. As it turns out, I mean Creighton wasn't all. If Creighton makes a three at all in the second half, we probably have two teams in the final four. And frankly, you were in a situation where there were three teams that probably had a chance. If you include Marquette or Xavier, of getting to a final four this year. The last time that ha- I mean. The Big East had a golden era like that was 85 when you had three teams going over St. John's, Georgetown that were in the Final Four in Lexington. And you had a fourth team, Boston College, that got to the Sweet 16 and came very close to being Memphis, who actually made it to the Final Four uh, in regulation. And Dick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you co-wrote a book
2: with Rick Pitino, correct? Did, so, Dick, what is about the Big East is making these coaches look at the roster of coaches that the Big East has? What about it you think is making everybody want to come you know, back to the Big East? Because it seemed forgotten for a little bit.
0: And now it seems like they are the conference on the rise. Well, I think that they were the most undervalued conference in the country. Everybody talked about the Big 12, talked about the Big 12. When anybody from the Big 12 in the final four this year. Um, And I think that the schools in one sport leagues will put all of the resources into one sport. And it usually means that if you can find a coach who's making $6 million like Jay, in order to compete with him, they're willing to come up with some pretty good dollars to get quality coaches. I mean, and frankly, it's, I mean, part of it's bragging rights. Part of it is the fact that Eastern teams now know they have a chance to win a national championship like Connecticut. And uh, people see the, the fact it's not that impossible dream the way it was in the sixties and seventies when UCLA ran college basketball. So you're getting a lot of coaches and a lot of schools who are willing to put up big dollars to get them. Look, St. John's in Georgetown got, got, I mean, got rejuvenated very quickly with, with coaching artists, with Patino and with Ed Cooley. I mean, it's become a, more of a destination now than a stepping stone.
1: Dick, you were there in 1979. You've, you've seen it all. You've been through it all. What is the biggest difference between the big East now versus the big East, the original iteration and that golden era that, Some of us only can, you know, watch reruns. You could
0: not win a tournament or a championship unless you had at least four pros in uh, your starting lineup. Um, I think that every team uh, that was decent in that area had at least three players who could play in the NBA. And I think they played an NBA style with players who actually had the ability play that way I mean it's it shouldn't be surprising that the two best players in the league then are probably the two best players in the league now Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen now neither of them were very successful as coaches but as players they were both iconic now we're in a situation where it looks like Teams have, are starting to be able to max out players. I think the style really plays well because you can't win this league unless you defend. A lot of teams will play you up and down the floor in the regular season and look good, but then they get to march and, and defense travels. And you could see it with Connecticut. I mean, they beat Arkansas by 26. And they and they and they beat Gonzaga worse than any team has beat Gonzaga in the tournament. They weren't really challenged in six games. I mean, when you are averaging close to twenty points in terms of margin of victory, it means you're doing something right. And they had players who played both ends of the floor. They were the only team in the country that really had a two-headed center. I mean, who knows what kind of damage Klingon could have done as a freshman if he had played twenty minutes a game. But you had a player in Sonogo who probably had as good a march as anybody in recent era. So do you think the level of talent, just pure talent, in, in the first generation
1: of the Big East
0: was? I think it was better pure, but for pure talent, but I don't think the game is the same now. It's a game for shooters. It's a game that features a lot of one-and-dones. Uh, I don't know that uh, you're going to get the same level of competition in college that you had when players stayed four years, when you had pro talent who was willing to stay in college. Now kids are really driven a lot more by either the future or the money that they can make with NIL, which is why a lot of teams are constantly rebuilding rosters. I mean, it's crazy now. I mean, you will literally have to re-recruit your own players at the, at the end of every season, and that's hard. And so, but if you get a coach that has a track record of getting his players opportunities to play at the next level up, most kids are gonna, who play are going to stick around, and you're probably going to be able to keep your core nucleus together.
1: Great stuff, and, and segueing a little more into to, you know this offseason and next year. Can you give us a team you're high on, a team that you uh, you think is going to have a really
0: strong season next if year? If Prosper comes back, I think Marquette can be really good. I like the players they brought in. I like the players who are coming back. I think that they'll be motivated to be a one seed. I also think Connecticut is going to surprise a lot of people. I know they look at them and they say, well, they lost Hawkins, and they lost Sonogo and they lost Jackson. But they have at least two players – who, I, who they've gotten, who are coming in. I think Klingon will be able to fill Sonagos' role very effectively. And I think the kid, Stephen Castle, who was McDonald's All-American 6'6 guard, will be able to move right in for Hawkins. If they can pl- find someone who can fill the three, the three spot, there's no reason why they shouldn't be exceptional again next year. I'm still waiting to see what kind of players Rick gets at St. John's. I don't think you can win the big East championship with Iona players. I think the kid Dennis uh, Jenkins will be a very good starting point guard for him. That's a good start. But I think that a lot of what they do will be contingent on whether they can get McKenzie McBago. I mean, if he comes, then everything changes because I think that they've done the right things that people are thinking very positively about the program. Again, they're talking about playing all 10 big East game, at least 10 big East games in the garden. They're talking about playing the Gavit game in the garden. I mean, there's no reason if they get personnel, they start winning. I think the thing could take off and they could do maybe 15,000, from in in, in uh, late January and February games I mean the guy is a great coach um, believe me I've seen it I've been to practice I know what he can do I think he was out of the, the spotlight for a while but no one's ever questioned his ability to get the most out of his players I mean he runs the best practice sessions of any coach I've ever been around
1: yeah I was gonna ask I mean you co-wrote a book with Rick Pitino I don't yeah. know if I've never spoken with somebody who knows him
0: so well. What makes him so special? His ability with player development. I mean, when he was at Providence, there was no rules. He would practice three times a day. When he was at Connecticut, they had a 10 o'clock practice session for where they would work on kids' individual skills. And most of his practices really were based on building confidence as three-point shooters. He would... He'd never really get on a player unless he stepped in the line, but you better. You, I mean, he wanted to, the ball to go up from three first. And they had constant shooting games and shooting practices from the three. They used to post three up in the at Rupp Arena. Anytime a kid made a three, they'd post a a, a, a three sticker up in the in, in the stands, and you know people would start counting from there. And he took a team that was, had the last four players from a Kentucky team that was on probation and Jamal Mashburn, who had to lose weight and had no idea what a good player he was until the end of the season. And the guy managed to get to the elite eight and frankly was a latener shot away from winning the national championship.
2: Dick, do you have a favorite Rick Patino story that you can share that's appropriate? Yeah.
0: I. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, uh, and it was a difficult period. The year they won, they went to the final four at Providence, 87. They were in the Big East tournament um, and they lost. They, they were coming back to Providence. They get pulled over by a state trooper and, and they were told that his son had passed away, one years old. It was a really difficult time for him. And I think it put everything in perspective. And I felt like that was an inspired tournament for everybody involved and what he did there. And even when he was in Kentucky, every day, he would disappear about 12 o'clock and no one knew it. And he would go to church every day. He really had very strong um, ties with his children and to this day. And one of his kids is coaching at New Mexico right now, Richard, which I think is great. And he he had great kids. I mean, you know, and uh, I, anything that happens good for him, I'm happy for. I know what people say. I know what people have said about him in the past, but I also know all the good things he's done, all the charity work he's done. When he when he was in Kentucky, he used to visit people in the hospital, never wanted it to be advertised. I still remember one time we took a ride in the mountains. There was a Catholic church on life support and he held a huge fundraiser to raise money for it i mean just little things that he did with his team that never really made it into print and made you feel that there was a lot more to his programs than just basketball
1: dick you're a, a member of the big five hall of fame a philadelphia legend
0: what do you think about the
1: wildcats this year
0: i think that they made a good decision with both transfers I think Bamba could be a pro prospect, and I think Hart is a can play multiple positions. He's grown to six eight now. I I love Eric Dixon's work habits. I wish he was two inches bigger, because both times when Bill and Over went to a Final Four, they had a legitimate big kid, um, either Sheffield or Spellman. They don't have anyone like that. If you saw their Final Four appearance when Eric was uh, 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 a, uh, a sophomore, I mean, he was fine offensively, but they, they had him matched up against Dave McCormick, who was 6'10", 260. And as, sh- and as soon as Kansas started making threes and spreading the floor, the game was over. That's a that's an issue. Uh, I think Ottawa has a history of playing this, their style very well. They back in pretty effectively. The basket, they they score points over uh, off the bounce. But I don't know if last year's team was a great three-point shooting team relative to the teams that went deep into the tournament. Uh, I you know if you're gonna play that style, it's helpful if you can shoot 35 rather than 30 from the three because it, it does affect you. And now look, they've had to replace the best defensive player on the ball, defensive player Slater. And they've had to replace Daniels who had stretches where he was as good a scorer as they had before Moore came back. Um, they were lucky that Moore decided to come back, which I think is a huge help. I think Armstrong's going to be a lot better this year than he has when, they, if they play him, for extended minutes. I didn't think that they really did a good job with the way they used them early last season. They had six months to make a point guard. They had assistant coach Mike Nardi on their staff who really could have helped him develop. I think I would have just lived and died with him from the, from the start of the the season at that position. And then by March, you have another really quality point guard. Okay. was spoiled. I mean, they went three straight generations with Ryan Arch, Galen Brunson, and Colin Gillespie, who were great college players. And all of them are getting time in the NBA. I mean, and because the Villanova... Villanova over under Jay, the IQ of the players was through the roof. Jalen Brunson, to this day, is probably the player with the best IQ I've ever seen at Villanova, and it's being reflected in the way he's playing with the Knicks right now. He's having a sensational season, and he has been the key to whatever turnaround they've had in the playoffs.
2: Dick, if we're going to talk Big East offseason, I have to ask the one thing that kind of the breakup heard around the world Ed Cooley breaks up with Providence and goes to Georgetown <laughs> what what is have you you've spent around and you've seen it all I'm sure
0: but man it's hard to- when a coach leaves and goes to another school within the league I think one school is going to be very unhappy one school is going to be very happy I wish that this thing had been, look, I think he had made up his mind to go based on the fact he put his house up for sale three weeks before the official announcement. Um, I, it's hard when you talk about Providence being your dream school and then you leave. Now is Georgetown has more money than Providence. They probably have a higher ceiling because of the amount of players that you can recruit in DC. Um so, I mean, I, you can't blame a coach. He he stayed 12 years to Providence. No other coach has ever stayed that long. Uh, you know, not Rick Pitino, not Rick Barnes, not uh, not Pete, Pete Gillen. I mean, they were all really good coaches, but they all – Timmy Welsh, but none of them stayed 12 years. So it wasn't like he didn't give them everything he had. I mean, I wish him good luck down there. I mean, I, I, I'm at a point now where if he – has success i'm happy for him well dick we could pick your brain all day long
1: <laughs> um it's such a pleasure to have you on to hear your thoughts uh you know
0: we just we, we can't say enough good things. Ah, no problem ryan listen it was my pleasure guys i hope i hope you guys enjoy next year as much as you enjoyed this year appreciate Thanks. you appreciate it. okay guys